So we've just read John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. And those of you that are listening to this on the recording, go ahead and read that now. Pause your playback device, read it, and then you'll get caught up with us. So my mom and dad went to Israel, and, and uh, in particular, one of the places that they visited is a location that's really easy to identify, where there's a little bit of a natural amphitheater um, that is relatively easy to see that somebody could stand and talk and could be heard by a whole lot of people. Um, some of you know that um, I did a little bit of acting when I was young, when I was in high school and college, was actually paid to do it. And when you're in, I've been in um, outdoor amphitheaters that are designed for you to not use a sound system and be heard by 5,000 people. There, are, uh, Ben has been to one in, in Turkey near the city of Ephesus that was built for 25,000 people to uh, hear what somebody was saying without a sound system. Uh, so, you know, Jesus may have, he may have been on the boat uh, using the water as well as the natural hill in the amphitheater to be heard. But um, the point being, uh, in when you see the pictures of the actual location, it just carries some meaning. Some It helps your imagination. It gives your imagination a little bit of a, a landscape uh, to draw on the pictures of what's going on. You have um, clearly at this time, people of all sorts were spiritually hungry, had were doing the best that they could in life, and yet finding that it was not enough. Sound familiar? There was brokenness. There was uh, brokenness and need for salvation, like the testimony we already heard this morning, where there is a, I've had a brokenness through a relationship, I'm feeling a pain that I can't fix, and I need something greater. There's nothing in this life that I can find to bring healing to this. And they were discovering, like many of us have discovered, that through Jesus, it is possible to receive a peace that you cannot find through any other source. It transcends. There is a faithful love that is not like human love that has limits and can be exhausted, can have moments of unfaithfulness, can run out. But instead, in God, there is available a faithful love that's supernatural. It goes beyond. So people had already, they've been hearing, and there's obviously, at this point in history of the story, there's no social media, right? There's no electricity being used for communication purposes, no phones, right? It's just gossip. I mean, word of mouth, right? And Jesus had started to perform some miracles and started to do some teaching. And the people in the region knew that the Jews in particular were looking for a Messiah that had been predicted. For hundreds of years, the prophets had predicted that God was sending a Savior, a fulfillment, a way into a new covenant where animal sacrifice would not be necessary anymore, going to a particular temple, a tabernacle, would not be necessary anymore, but that they could find absolution, they could find forgiveness, they could find ultimate peace and a pathway into heaven through this Messiah. So 
that scuttlebutt was out there. People knew that there was some anticipation of this sort of Messiah. But they also had all sorts of their own ideas of what that might look like, right? And what we had already seen in the story of Jesus is that he was not what some wanted. Some wanted um, a authoritarian power. Some would have wanted, as we see the way people still to this day follow the royal family of England, some people have a fascination for royalty. And Jesus certainly was royalty, but he was born of a virgin birth, a humble birth, with his first crib being a manger, right? Among animals, where his parents for that temporary time didn't have a better place to be at the time of birth, right? So there was a humility to it. And Joseph being a carpenter, there was a humility to it. It it was not the poorest of the poor, but there was a humility to it. It certainly wasn't royalty. Now, we see through the genealogies that he had royal blood, even on the human side, right? Because his genealogy flows through King David, right? So there's this unique person that Jesus is, his first miracle at a wedding in Cana, uh, sparing the, the, the wedding family, the embarrassment of having run out of wine. He, he does a miracle in creating wine. He's healing the sick. He's doing things. And now they're coming to him by the thousands. And that has created in this day and in this moment a need for food. All right? We have certain basic human needs, water, food. So here we are at this place, at this hillside in the Sea of Galilee, and there's a need for lunch. Depending on how you crunch the numbers, I I had a job for a while where about 10% of my job was counting crowds. And um, in our vacation this past month, we went to this one tourist location, and I was looking around. It wasn't, wasn't a big one. I was surprised because the place was bigger than I expected, and there was around 5,000 people there. It was the Tillamook dairy farm that does the cheese you enjoy and ice cream. There was 5,000 people there on a weekday in the summer to see this place. When you see 5,000 people in a place, it's notable, right? That's what's happened here. But it says only just 5,000 men. So somebody's counting hats, right? So, well, there's about 5,000 hats. Well, depending on how many people were with each of those guys or how many people those guys were following... There could have been up to 20,000 people there on the hillside. And Jesus goes on later in the chapter, what you see as there's a repeat event and another need for a miracle of food. And what we see is Jesus brings to the front the main thing that he's trying to communicate, which is he is the promised Messiah. He is the sent one. And that looking to him for salvation as the way, the truth, and the life is the main point. That the miracles are not the main point. And in fact, at the end of this chapter, Jesus thins the crowd by saying some stuff that's kind of creepy. But in that, he's calling back to the story we see in Numbers chapter 11. He's calling back to when God provided for the people in the time of wilderness, manna a bread from heaven. He calls back to that in saying, you need to engage with me. You need to have a spiritual communion 
with me. You need to receive me as your sustenance. And that is the only way to salvation. That's what happens in the rest of chapter 6. He's saying, listen, you're focused on the miracles. You're focused on the show. You're attending the show. That's not what God wants. God wants, he desires that you would have a relationship with him through me. That's what Jesus says. And it is the same today. There are many people that attend the show of Christianity. There are many people that just attend the show, but there's not a personal engagement. And so it lacks the power for them personally, and they're still frustrated, they're still hurt, they're still broken, they're still bleeding, because they're not personally directly engaging with Jesus as their Messiah, as the only way through for the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus is calling us, and Peter, James, and John talked about the fact that God is not does not want anyone to perish, but he desires that all would come to him for salvation, right? So it's an open invitation. Now, so that's the larger context of this chapter, the story that's going on of the message that Jesus is trying to communicate. For just the next few minutes, I want to focus on the side lesson that Jesus is doing with Philip and with his followers, because that's a part of what he refers to here, right? Jesus, it says, turning to Philip, verse 5, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. But testing is also a training word. It's, he's training by asking a question. It's the, called the Greek Socratic method then the Jews also used this method of teaching by asking questions. It would have been more common for Jewish rabbis in teaching the law. There would be a public reading of Scripture, but the teaching would be primarily through asking questions. And they had a circular method of telling stories. They would start in the middle, go to the end, come back to the middle, go to the end, go back to the beginning, and then tell the middle and then the end. This is a very Jewish way of teaching that was how they responded to the way that God spoke through Moses. So Jesus is using an ancient way of teaching by asking a question. So it's not a testing in a negative Nancy, Debbie Downer kind of a way of, hey, you're not good enough. It's a training word. He's trying to train Philip by asking this question. And so it falls to us to ask ourselves, what is Jesus trying to communicate to Philip, right? Because Philip looks around and he says, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them, right? And then we get the the miracle with the lunch. So Jesus has the crowd sit down and he has the crowd sit down and he engages his followers to directly provide the miracle bread uh, to the people that are sitting there. Now, I remember looking around at the crowd of 5,000 people at the Tillamook Dairy. And by the way, I just want to tell you, they had also amazing food. So if you're ever out there, go. I had a tuna melt that changed my life. (laughs) It had bacon, so it was kind of a tuna club. But normally when you're at tourist events, what do you expect? Overpriced food with lower quality, right? That's what I was expecting quality was out of the park. So I'm enjoying the lunch, kind of like a what about Bob way of like, oh, right, just enjoying the lunch. I'm looking around at 
over a thousand people that are eating at that point, and I'm thinking, I'm glad I don't have to feed all these people. <laughs> That's the kind of moment that Jesus is having with Philip, right? And Philip's like, yo, I know there's not enough in the, in the bag that Judas keeps of our money. There's not enough to pay for this lunch, right? So we don't have what it takes. Jesus, following Jesus, will bring you to a point of realization we don't have what it takes. It's important to gain perspective, to learn. At the beginning of our following Jesus, we don't understand these things. And God the Father loves us mercifully regardless, right? He loves us mercifully regardless. But God desires us to mature. And a part of maturing is growing in perspective. And the way that we grow in perspective, at first, according to Hebrews, is to watch Jesus, keeping our eyes on Jesus. And one of the things that Jesus does regularly, which we talked about last month, is brings them, bring them to a place of eternal perspective, which means a realization that this life is short and it's temporary, that the next life, eternal life, is forever, and making decisions in this life based on that eternal perspective. Am I making sense? The kingdom of God lasts forever. Will you live your life based on that perspective? Now, I submit that everybody in this room, you're already making that decision because you're here in the sweltering heat on a Sunday morning, right? Kind of our way of giving our best energy to God, making a sacrifice, as it were, uh, to God of personal physical comfort, right? That shows that you're already growing in eternal perspective. I've been reflecting over the last few weeks a fair amount on what John writes as John was a follower of Jesus who was stayed close to Jesus. John was the one who God gave the revelations to of what would come, who wrote the book of Revelation, the book of the revelation of Jesus. Uh, first, second, third John about the transformative power of love. But here in the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, he writes some things that I, I've been thinking about a lot the last few weeks. Talking about Jesus. In the beginning... The Word, the living Word, the Logos, Jesus he's referring to, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Now, my hope, my prayer, is that we take away from that a realization of who Jesus is. Talking about Jesus this morning. Your life will be benefited if you deepen your understanding of who Jesus is, if you become more familiar with Jesus, if, if Jesus becomes alive to you, your life will be benefited. All the challenges that you face today, tomorrow will seem less than 
your understanding of who God is, your willingness to jump into worship, to thank God with all that you've got. Everything about your life will be better if you will deepen your understanding of who Jesus is. And your level of peace, your level of joy will change for the better. And then in turn, when you have an opportunity to share Jesus with somebody else, you will naturally be more excited. They will naturally be more curious. And so I want us to just deepen our understanding of Jesus in in these brief moments. So what is John telling us? John is telling us that God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, has ever been that way, eternally that way. And at the moment of creation, and certainly there's a lot about creation that remains a mystery, where each of the days that are recorded in Genesis, a thousand years, a millennia, the way that the Hebrew writes it, it's not entirely clear. It is not, it's clearly not written to be a scientific document. It is written to be perfect in its revelation of who God is, and the redemptive plan that God has always been at work to be, and it certainly reveals to us who Jesus is. Jesus was there at the beginning. God spoke through Jesus. There's another passage that refers to Jesus as the spirit of prophecy. So when God said, let there be light, he is speaking through Jesus, right? And Jesus is the person John refers to who brought light to everything in a spiritual sense. So in the same way that Jesus teaching teaching about himself being the bread later on in John chapter 6. He's referring to the story in Numbers chapter 11, talking about natural, the bread that they were actually eating with their mouth. Now he's talking about a spiritual thing. Here we have, everyone following with me, okay? Here we have in the same way, in a spiritual way, Jesus was there at the beginning. God said there, let there be light. There was natural light that occurred. But think about this. Jesus now brings light to all of us by making a way for us for salvation. A light in the darkness. So when I look to Jesus, when I consider, why would I follow Jesus? Why would I read stories about Jesus? Why would I want to learn from the actions that Jesus, what Jesus did and what Jesus said? Well, because he's always been there. And he's not some spooky spirit in a way that he's two-dimensional. No, he's not only three-dimensional like you are, but he's multi-dimensional because he's also spiritual. But he has thoughts. He was observing things. He was listening to things. He was speaking things. He has emotions. And we see that revealed in the stories of Jesus. So just, I just want to kind of... Can we just blow our minds for a moment here? Jesus was there at the beginning. He is the one through whom God created everything. There is no one who understands more about creation, more about this planet, and more about the galaxy, more about our problems, and more about what the solutions are than Jesus. There is no one. Right? Beyond that, He is the light in our darkness. The light of heaven breaks upon us. The angel said to the shepherds, right? That is Jesus. It is that Jesus who is there with them, who is thousands of people are there, they're coming, and not all of them for good reasons. It may have been hot like it is here and now. And you know, you can't get people anywhere for more than an hour and someone's not hungry. Am I right? 
So here Jesus is in a world that is broken, that is not perfect, with people that are broken, that are not perfect, with some people that are there for good reasons, some people that are there for bad reasons, some people that are there that have already chosen to betray him. And here, how does Jesus behave? Does he say, okay, you, 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 call them out by name. You're the good ones. I'm giving you lunch. Everybody else, go pound sand. (laughs) He doesn't do that, does he? He's preparing a miracle for everyone. Salvation through Jesus, whether you accept it or you reject it, is a miracle prepared for you. Any theology that teaches otherwise is negative Nancy, Debbie Downer, a bummer. And not good for you. It is a grace from God whether you accept it or reject it, right? That's Jesus. So here Jesus in that moment and he turns to Philip and he asks him a question. He's teaching him through his question. Philip looks around. I don't know how you would have responded, but I don't know that I would have responded a whole lot different. Yo, Jesus, like, we could work for months and not have enough money to cover this lunch. Like, I don't know what... He had the emphasis on the wrong syllable, right? I don't know where he his emph- emphasis was in what he said. We could work for months and not have enough money for this lunch. Or we could work for months and not have money for this lunch. Or we could have, we could work for months and not have enough money for this lunch. Like, I don't know where, I don't know where his emphasis was, but he's doing the human thing, right? He's look, he's, and he's, it's smart. It's, it's obvious. Uh, Thank you, Captain Obvious. Right? But it's also true. And he's, all, he's not saying there is no way, and he's not saying I'm not willing to help out. Right? He's not saying any of those things. But Jesus is trying to train him with the question. And the whole point, as I'm, I said already, in this chapter comes to the point is that Jesus' identity is Messiah. But in this training moment with Philip, he's trying to get Philip to learn how to interact with a life that would come after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, when Jesus wasn't there, where before Philip's death, he would look around at an imperfect world and be in situations where they didn't have enough. So what's the lesson? Well, there's definitely a need for a kingdom of God value system and there's definitely a need, because let's pause there for a second. Value system meaning, which need is it that Jesus is talking about? A need that was created by a sudden moment of people seeking Jesus, right? He's not talking about a situation where Philip rolled up to a restaurant and invited the whole town to come in just to have a party. That's not the situation, The situation is a whole bunch of people that have come and sought Jesus. So there's a kingdom of God value system. But I think most certainly what you have to say is that he's trying to train Philip to recognize the situation and recognize when you have enough to meet the need and when you don't have enough to meet the need. And when you don't have enough to meet the need, go to God. Go to God for the brunch. I just wanted to motivate you because I'm going to release you a little early. All right. So, a couple lessons that we get from this, and then we'll close with some things to do. 
My identity is found in a relationship with God. That's a part of what Jesus is training them. Read the whole chapter today. Jesus is training them. Because what do they do? They call into question the identity of Jesus. So this focus on a Jesus identity. But then in the next step of that is training them to see their identity as directly connected to Jesus and who Jesus is. Second, my focus is on the kingdom of God first. Kingdom of God first. Third, my value system is derived from the kingdom of God. I should be asking myself, what are the things that Jesus valued? What are the things that Jesus valued love? Jesus valued mercy, right? I should be asking myself that question. Fourth, my expectation of God is not based on natural limitations. This is where we get ourselves into trouble in many scriptures about this topic. But we've got to stop ourselves sometimes. And sometimes it it requires a conversation with another believer who's mature and say, am I stressed or ticked off, frustrated or fearful or worried because I'm evaluating my situation based on my natural limitations? Am I prejudicing my view of God by putting onto God natural limitations? Or have I truly looked at God with supernatural, with busting the box, with with limitless, with understanding that God has limitless resources and ability, right? Very important. So, in closing, here's five things that I think we should do in response to this, okay? Five things that I think we should do in response to this story. So one, this summer... Read Jesus stories. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Read Jesus stories. Open them up. Find one. Find a new one. Find you have one you haven't read before. Find one you've read a dozen times. Read one of the stories. Some of them are very short. Some of them are longer. Read the Jesus stories that you find in Scripture. Second, take time to consider what you learned about Jesus. What does that? What do you observe? What's the plain, simple truth? How does Jesus act? What gets Jesus angry? What is Jesus happy about? Consider what you learn. Ask questions. Who is this Jesus? What did he say? Don't be lazy in your approach to your life. Engage your brain. Right? Get, get your brain involved. Read the story. Ask questions. What do you learn about Jesus? Now, third, here's the challenge. Right? Adjust the way you relate with Jesus based on what you learned. Right? So if I learn that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, one way that I can adjust how I relate with Jesus is by relating to Jesus like He is the way, the truth, and the life. Right? Receive salvation based on Jesus alone. Right? So that's one way I can make an adjustment. Another way I can make an adjustment is I see that Jesus is not limited by natural my natural limitations, like how many lunches that he already had in the backpack, so I could start to talk to God, start to talk to Jesus, like he is who he is. Like he has limitless resources. That's really helpful. Number four, here's next level. List the miracles that Jesus may want to see. So if I've taken time to learn about what makes Jesus happy, what makes Jesus angry, what how, what's he thinking, how is he thinking, then I can evaluate my situation, my home, my checkbook, 
my, how I spend my money, how I spend my time, what's going on in my house, what's going on in my neighborhood, um, whether, whether it be poverty, whether it be violence, whether it be corruption, whether whatever the miracle is, I can look around at my world and then start to write out, based on what I learned about Jesus, what are the miracles that Jesus might want to see in my world? Is that making sense? Then, lastly, pray through your list with the partnership of others. You're going to have a list. It's going to seem impossible because in this natural world and based on your resources, it should be impossible. I would encourage you, don't come to God with prayer requests that are possible. Go to God with prayer requests that are impossible. Hello? And that's really hard to do when you try to do it by yourself. Get somebody else involved. Somebody that has faith. Because what you might find is that on some days, it's easier to have faith for somebody else's prayer request for their miracle than it is for your own. Right? Get two or three people around that prayer request and pray. Yeah? Let's close in prayer this morning. God, I thank you so very much for the example of Jesus. And I thank you for this example that even when we don't have enough, you are enough, you are more than enough, and you have more than enough in the way of resources. Help us to make a decision to read, to consider what we learn, to adjust our expectations. Help us, Lord God, to list out the miracles that you would want. Help us to pray. Help us to lean into those things. I thank you for it, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you all very much. I'm really glad that you were here today. I'm definitely praying God's grace and peace on you uh, for this week. Again, remember to pray for uh, the youth camp uh, this week as we head out uh, tomorrow afternoon. Grace and peace to you. Have a great day.